Danny J. And I'm Jill Coleman. Welcome to the Best Life Podcast. Here, we talk about everything from success, money, relationships, and entrepreneurship to productivity, honest communication, positive psychology, and how to cultivate an abundance mindset. Make money, travel the world, deepen your relationships, live full out. This is the best life. What up, besties? What's going on, besties? This is Jill Coleman. This is Danny J. Um, so I saw your post about snowboarding now. I yesterday, maybe. I don't know. You've been like a hundred times now? Probably close to that. Holy holy cow. Yeah. I mean, I think for my first season, I went like 25 days. And That's so it was wild. so terrible. And, but you know what? I kept going because I kept seeing people who like, first of all, I kept seeing like four-year-olds like blowing by me on snowboards and I was like okay <laughs> like if a fucking child can do this like I could do it I mean granted I know kids are way more like rubbery than I was at 37 like and don't necessarily always get hurt like adults do but I kept seeing kids and then I kept seeing like people who like weren't really in good shape doing it and I like I was just like oh yeah okay it's just a matter of time like it's and then I was just yeah. like okay I just need to keep exposure therapy I just keep exposing myself keep saying yes and then it started getting really fun I'm like and that was the other thing too is Keith kept being like it's so fun and like everyone comes talking about how it was fun and I was like it's when not does fun. it get fun? Like, yeah, it's like not fun <laughs> for me. So I yeah. assume that's on the other side of like mm. actually being able to do this. And so, yeah, I stuck with it. it. Took me about seven days to like be able to start turning a little bit on yeah. my toes. And if you've done, if you've snowboarded, it can be, uh, yeah, it's a lot of tumbles. And um, then two years later, I hit a tree because I started going through the trees, which yeah, good theory was was definitely more fun and more challenging. And then I hit a tree, and then I haven't been back to the trees <laughs> since then. That was two years ago. And then I just spent uh, three days in Mammoth, and uh, my brother Dan, shout out, came, um, and this was his third time going. And we did three days in a row, and he was like really doing yeah. well by the end of it. Nice. And so nice. yeah, it was fun. But you know, it reminded me of just everything that we do in life. Like yeah. any skill you want. I don't know why this is, but like so many of us have like such a perfectionist tendency and they show like mm. in research that people who are perfectionists won't even attempt something if they know they're not going to be successful. And I know you and I definitely were like that very much so like earlier in like our teens and early twenties. Yeah. But now I'm just like, I look, I kind of look around at the people doing something and I'm like, if they can do it, I can do it. And then also, mm-hmm. I think back to how terrible I was with so many business things. Like I was a yeah. terrible writer and I was a terrible on video. I was terrible public speaking, you know? And so then you get to a point where you just keep doing it. I really loved YouTube for that, by the way. Like, I don't know when you started on YouTube, but I started in 2008. And like, I remember that was just what you did back then because this is before yeah. Facebook got really big and whatever. And I just would keep doing it. I'm like, okay, I'm just teach this little thing. And some of my early YouTube videos are so t- fucking terrible, but the content was good enough that people yeah. watch them. I don't think they would do well now. Like, you know, obviously it's 15 yeah. years later, but back then when there just weren't as many videos, people were watching stuff that was poor quality like that. You know, me, I was looking down, I was saying, um, but I can tell you doing more video actually helped me with public speaking because I wasn't yeah. a speaker either, but I just kept saying yes. I got invited to speak at different things and I kept saying yes, kept saying yes. And over time, you like really start to find your voice and find how you present. And so 
all of that to say, if you're if you're someone who like wants to learn something, whether it's a, a business skill or a hobby or a, a new thing that you want to do, it really is just a matter of continuing to show up. But you always have to, you have to have like a why. You know what I mean? Like for me, business things were like, I want to get better at these things because I know it's going to further my business. I'm going to be more successful. Or I'm going to impact more people, right? Imagine if we had never decided to do this podcast because you and I were scared of talking on you know, mm-hmm. on audio, we would never have reached and impacted that some of the people that we have or like connected with some of the people that we have. And so then I just think, God, that's a massive opportunity. And what I'm just going to fucking let my insecurities dictate what I'm going to do in my life. Like, hell no. And so you have to have that experience too. I always think about like insecurities are selfish. When I think about it from that perspective, not like snowboarding, but like when it's something like your business or you have tools or you have strategies or things that can help people and you're not sharing them, motherfuckers out here struggling, right? Including me, right? Imagine if some of my mentors didn't mm. get good at what they were doing. I would have missed out on that massive opportunity for growth. And so when you think about it that way, I'm like, yeah, Jill, like this isn't even fucking about you, right? This is like, you got to get over your shit. Like you got shit to do out here. What, you're going to be scared? And that's sort of how I talk to myself. I don't know if that resonates for anyone else, <laughs> but that totally gets me to just get out of my own like bullshit and move past that and realize that there's a, there's a higher calling to this. And I also turn it around. I'm not like I'm the one that people need to learn from. I think about my own mentors. I'm like, God, if they were scared, I wouldn't have Mm. gotten what I got from them. And so it it kind of allows me to just see something and go, okay, it's not like you're good or you're not good. The skill, right? There's there's shades of this stuff. And it really just so so much of it comes down to like having that little bit of audacity to be like, I could snowboard. Like, fuck, look at these people. I can do it. You have to have the audacity. Then you have to commit to the practice and realize like, you're not going to be good. No one starts doing anything new and is good at it. Like period. Yeah. Even for you, when you were like, you were like an elite gymnast to the point where you were like an acrobat at SeaWorld and you had these jobs and whatever, like that's an elite level. Chances are like you started gymnastics and you're like three or five or something like, yeah, of course you're going to suck. But they actually show that when people are better at something, they like it more. So yeah. that makes a lot of sense, right? So then you're like, oh, I'm scared. I'm scared of public speaking, but then you just do it more. And then all of a sudden you're like, I love speaking because you're like having some, you have some, you know, proficiency at it. And so all of that to say, like at some point you just have to commit to it. So yeah, it was I fun. Lo- I, yeah, I love it. I love seeing the post. I love seeing your progress. Cause I remember when you started and you were just in pain and hating it. I'm like, I know the beginning yeah, sucks. Crying. You're falling and you're snapping you're falling, at Keith. Like you're crying, you're frustrated. Oh, yeah. it's, it's the worst. And then you're cold and it's like, why am I out here on this stupid right. mountain and I have to get down? And it's just been so cool to see. It's so hard. And I, I love that you've been able to go so consistently because I feel like every time I, it's like, I'd go one or two times a season and then skip a year or two. And then mm-hmm. it's just like it, you're going back to that the shitty part every time. Totally. Yeah. And you're like, God. So, yeah. So it's, it's like it's, you have to get – that's why I said to Dan, like, hey, do like three days. Even if it's mm-hmm. like I know you're sore shit and like whatever, but like yeah. just do all three days because you're just going to get – and he did like exponentially improved. It was really cool to see. Yeah. So it was fun. Yeah. That's super cool and super fun. And I just love the analogy to life, you know? And w- another thing is just doing something to get good at, not because you're going to be an elite snowboarder or compete, but just to do something for the fun and the mastery of it. There's some things that I just so I satisfying. Know, I want to start getting better at and I want to start having fun with and not for any reason, not to make money off of, not to do anything, but just to just to get good and at And there's just like personal something. satisfaction that comes with it, right? Like especially yeah. starting something brand new and later in life. 
and then seeing yourself progress, like that's a dopamine hit, you know, it's like mm-hmm. you see whatever it is, whether it's a hobby, a sport, a, you know, art or learning a new language or learning a musical instrument or, you know, business skills. I mean, those are all skills. I think people just make the assumption that you're either good at it or you're not. And that's a massive disservice because the answer is yeah. just do it more and it always works. Well, we were, we had an episode on aging partially about aging uh, recently. And this, I was reading an article, it's like a Harvard business article on cognitive fitness and learning a new skill actually helps your brain not, like literally helps you with not get getting Alzheimer's dementia. Oh. So whether it's learning another language, learning a game, uh, learning a new skill, it just has to be something new. It makes new connections in your brain, whatever fires, you know, fire and wire together. So it's actually really it helps in aging too. So I'm like, I'm thinking I got to learn, I got to keep learning new stuff, learning new skills and getting good at it. Practicing piano, an instrument, a language, all of those things create new neural connections. And I don't know about you, but I'm in the back of my mind, see my grandma with dementia, that scares me. And so there's things I could do. I'm like, yes, I'm going to be doing that. So totally. Yeah. And you yeah. know, there's, and to me, it's like, there's a lot of things like putting yourself, it's also like putting yourself in uncomfortable situations again. Mm-hmm. I think as we get older, we just like, we find what we like and then we just want to stay there and we don't want to like, even Dan and I were talking about this. It's funny because it's similar. He was like, he goes, you know, this is the first time that I've traveled in like four months. And he goes, I could see, you know, that like, as you get older and you don't travel, you like want to do it less and less. Cause you're like, Oh, I got to pack a bag and I got to go to the airport. Like, you know, just stuff like that. We are like laughing about it. Cause it's really like, it's like, Oh, you have to pack a bag so you can go like have an amazing time on vacation. Yeah. But like, yeah. it's so easy to get like in the rhythm of like not doing stuff that when you, you know, so that you could see someone be like, what, what's that? The law of inertia, like a, bo- yeah. a body in motion stays in motion, a body at rest stays at rest. It's like the massive amount of activation energy that it takes to like go from doing nothing and just being in a safe, comfortable place, complacent place to stepping out of your comfort zone, dude, is not ever going to be comfortable. And the, the, I mean, that's innately in the definition of discomfort is you don't want to fucking be there. So I think it's just funny. He was like, yeah, he's like, I caught myself being like, ah, I got to pack a bag and like find the clothes. And like, it's just so easy. <laughs> dude, that is real. I mean, I was living out of a suitcase for a couple of years, going, going, going. And the last couple of years, not going anywhere. And now I'm like, oh, I don't want to go anywhere. Right. <laughs> and I go, how did I do this all the time? But I have You're to. You're just used to it. Yeah, I have to push myself now. And it's and then I go out and I'm like, oh yeah, this was fun. This is why I liked doing it. But yeah. yeah. Well, speaking of routines. Yes. We actually got a uh we got a message in our Facebook group. And I think this is a good um it's actually a really good topic. We have not discussed this, I don't think, on the podcast, but you mm-hmm. know, when it comes to routines, comes to habits, sometimes it could be hard to change them, especially if uh they're ones that you like doing. So do you want to give us the gist of that uh that question? Yeah. So there was anonymous message and there's a, some nuance to it and we'll probably separate that part out. But um, basically the message was someone, she just recently found out she was pregnant and has hanging out with a lot of people who drink. And now that she can't drink, she feels kind of like she doesn't fit in. So she found herself taking care of all the kids while the adults were having fun drinking. And I, it seems like in a way, the way it came across was she was feeling a little resentful 
that everyone was getting to drink and she couldn't. And one of her friends made a suggestion, which I thought was so ridiculous. She said, well, my sister couldn't, or I don't know who was, sister or friend, had an alcohol problem. She couldn't drink. So she just smash up olives and do olive shots. So you could do that and have fun. And I was like, no. <laughs> and just what do you do with these suggestions from people who are trying to help you still quote, have fun drinking, but you're not actually drinking. You're like, it's not about doing the shot. It's like having the experience with you guys. Totally. It's and- not even probably about being drunk. I mean, there's something nice <laughs> yeah. about like having a couple of drinks and you're like more relaxed or you feel like maybe your inhibitions are a little bit lower. It's just more like if you're in an environment where everyone's drinking, mm-hmm. right? It's like mirror neurons. It's like, yeah, this yes. is what you do. And especially if you've had positive experiences doing it, you know, and you've had positive experience, like things are fun. You're having discussions maybe you normally wouldn't have, or like you're feeling more connected to people or you're laughing more Then it's easy to just go, Oh, in order to have those experiences, I need to be drinking. And yeah. so I think, and this is actually really timely because you stopped drinking last October. So it's been about mm-hmm. six months and yeah. I have not stopped drinking. So yeah. I'd be interested in just like how things have been for you. We've we've certainly, you and I have hung out and it's not like I'm getting yeah. shit faced, but I'll have like a glass or two of wine, but like you're good. Yeah, it's been, this is so interesting and so timely because one of the things I noticed um, from the person who posted was almost a feeling of resentment. So there's a difference I feel like in choosing not to drink and then when you can't drink. And so she said she was pregnant. So there's maybe, and I might be putting words into her mouth, but this kind of the idea that I get is when you're pregnant, you're like, I can't drink now. So it's like, you still want to, I really, really want to, but I can't, I don't want to hurt the baby. So there's this kind of feeling of something's being taken from you, which can Mm. kind of be different than someone going, I don't want to drink anymore. And I've you know, I've given up drinking and I'm in kind of a weird space. So I did stop drinking in October. Um, and it wasn't intentional. It was just been a very interesting thing. And, um, it's still something that I talk about often with Jeff and he actually made a post about this today, right before we got on, I started reading it, but we went to do ayahuasca in, uh, November and they want you to not drink at least seven days before. So I think the last time I drank, you came out to my house and I think we had some wine then it was at the end of October. So that was probably my, that was my last drink. And they want you to at least stop seven days before for whatever reason. Funny enough though, Jill and I did ayahuasca in 2019. We drank up until the the day before. So we didn't follow these rules, (laughs) but I decided this time I'll try, I'll try a little harder. So I did a little bit more of the diet that they, they prescribe. And after I got home, it's just the desire was gone. It did not go with an intention to stop drinking. Um, In the back of my mind, it's probably been over a year. I've been knowing I needed to cut back. I had to get a a liver um, MRI. And I have a blood disorder that makes me have a higher chance of getting liver cancer. Basically, the blood disorder is my body stores too much iron and the iron gets stored in the liver. And then it can turn into basically you rust from the inside out, you get these iron stores. And I had some spots on my liver and I had to do an MRI and they found that they were benign, but it scared me enough to think I should cut back on drinking, but it didn't scare me enough to actually cut back on drinking, (laughs) or at least it didn't scare me enough to actually stop. So I knew that this was something I should not do, but I always enjoyed it. Like to Jill's point earlier, I've had great positive experiences with drinking. It usually made me feel good. I started to notice over the last year that 
it wasn't making me feel good. It wasn't making me feel bad, but I just kind of wasn't feeling anything. So I wasn't getting buzzed anymore. I didn't really feel much of anything. So after coming back from Costa Rica, um, and I just didn't want it. And it was very interesting where before, like to your point about mirror neurons, if I'm in like a, I don't know, a vacation spot, I see people with cocktails. I'm like, Ooh, that looks so good. I just want to have a cocktail. Not because I want to get drunk or buzz, but just the feeling having a nice cold, ice cold drink, having a margarita, all of those things like just had this association with them. And I came back and we were on and we went to a restaurant and I just didn't want it. And as things kept going on, I'd be in situations where I would normally find myself really craving the experience and I just didn't want it. And so I go, well, this is something I need to stop and cut back anyway. I'm just going to keep going with it. So Jeff even asked, he's like, are you just quitting for good? I go, no, I don't want to say that. I don't want to say that I'm not drinking, but I'm just going to continue and see if I do want it, then I'll drink. If I don't, then I don't. And for the most part, I've just sat with it, looked around, been in environments where there have been drinks and I just haven't wanted it. There's been a few times though, where we thought, well, maybe we would. So we bought a couple like fake alcohols. Um, there's, there's a lot of new, I don't know, like fake gin, fake rum, fake tequila and fake wine even. And when I say fake, it's like de-alkalized. So it's not like you're just drinking juice. So there's de-alkalized drinks. And I will say for someone who maybe can't drink because they're, they are pregnant or they're on medications or something like that, or maybe they had an alcohol problem and they can't, but they still want to. I did find that some of these were a nice alternative because honestly, you don't just want to have soda water. Like it's so lame to just kind of ask for soda water with lime or something like that. And and when you really, really do want to drink, I think they've done a good job of making better non-alcohol drinks that, t- that kind of mimic the taste of alcohol. Um, I remember O'Doul's. I think that used yeah. to be like the only beer, like non-alcohol beer. And I used to think, why would anybody ever drink that? Because beer is so gross. Why would you drink non-alcoholic beer? Now I understand why someone would because of the, I don't know, the association, the feeling of whatever that drink is. So I actually went to your house and it was really cool. You had bought a bottle of non-alcoholic um, Sauvignon Blanc. Sauvignon Blanc is my favorite. And I tried it and it was actually really great. And it gave me the feeling of just having it in the glass, having that just connection and then not having the actual alcohol. So I really think that there can be, there's, I think there's a couple things going on. One, if you do have actual alcohol dependence where your body needs it, that's a different story. But I think you can get that association in your brain with the environment, the relaxation, the fun, and have the drink in your hand if you can find something that's a good mocktail or mimics it. It's not quite the same, for sure. I mean, you're not going to get a buzz and you're not going to be maybe by the end of the night if people did drink too much and they're all acting ridiculous and you're, you're the sober one, you're like, oh my God. But you know, there's only so much you can do. Yeah, I'm actually curious on your side too, because you and I, I mean, I think in the last seven years, I, besides my little stint during the pandemic, I don't think I've gone a day or I don't think I've gone more than two or three days without drinking. And that's you and I, like our part of our relationship was like, we go on walks and drink. Right. (laughs) So to be on the other side too, of a friend who's like, now 
your friend's not drinking anymore. I've been curious to your honestly, yeah, like it, it's no issue for me, and it's not like I'm. A, gosh, I'm not even drinking probably a tenth of what I was drinking in like 2017 when yeah. you and I were single and just going out so much. But I think. I think one of the things for me that really helped is my partner doesn't drink. So like Mm. he'll have a beer, but it's very rare that he'll ever have more than one. And he, it'd be very rare if he even has more than one drink a week. You know, like he might have a single drink if we go to dinner that week, but that's it. He'll never drink anything at home or whatever. At first that made me really, I mean, this is five years now, but at first that made me feel really um, self-conscious. And I think I probably would feel that way around you now, especially because, you know, so much of our relationship and even this podcast, right? We have a couple of drinks, like we loosen mm-hmm. up, we have good conversation, whatever, or we just have associated it with fun, you know? And I, I grew up in a very like Irish big family that drinking is what you do to connect. You know, we always laugh that like sometimes my dad doesn't really open up about things until it's like two in the morning. He's had like a hundred Bud Lights, you know? (laughs) And so we've been trying to, as a family, start to have more satisfying discussions and conversations before two in the morning. Like that was something that my siblings and I were like, hey, like we want to all be connected. We want to have like some of the the, the conversations that are really juicy and that we like to have. I don't want to have those at two in the morning with a shit face. Let's have those sober or at a dinner with a drink or two, right? And so I think a lot of this is maybe looking at what it is about alcohol that makes you feel that's either fun or maybe brings your inhibitions down lower to get you to do things Mm -hmm. that maybe you wouldn't normally do if you were sober, you know? So I think for me, that's, that's really that. And I was telling this to Keith, we were talking about this a little bit a couple weeks ago and I was like, you know, I think giving up alcohol completely for me would, is hard only because all of my memories and all of my experiences with alcohol, like 99% of them are positive. You -hmm. know, it's like, yes, it's only the, in the abstract of like what's happening to my liver, which I've obviously, I can't see that, but, and you and I've had this conversation. I don't lose weight when I give up drinking. I don't sleep better when I give up drinking. I don't have more energy when I give up drinking. And so if you, and then I am able to, I go to dinner with my friends or my family or my, you know, and I have a drink or two and it's just good conversation. It's like, that's what you do. And so I can definitely understand from this woman's perspective, I think, and and this is obviously like me projecting, but I think one thing that may have to happen is two things. Like if we're getting prescriptive is she's going to have to figure out a way to enjoy something else that has just the same level of enjoyment as drinking. So I don't know what that is. It could be like, I don't know, maybe it's like you have this delicious... I don't know, you go get frozen yogurt and it has like this, off these toppings that you absolutely love. Or maybe there's a really special baked good that you just absolutely love. Like I would say it's fine to do something like that in place of it. I mean, I've given up drinking for, I've done like, I've done dry, dry Januaries before. I've done stuff like that. And it's funny because I didn't lose weight. I was like, oh, I'll definitely lose weight. Never lost yeah. weight. I just ate more, you know? Yeah. And so for, and so it's okay, like still be mindful and make moderate choices and whatever, but it's okay to be like, cool. Instead of having like three glasses of wine, which is like 500 calories, I'm going to have this, you know, one of my favorite ice cream little thingies or something like that. So it, you still need to get, I think it's a mistake to just be like, no fun, no enjoyment. And then like, just yeah. white knuckle your way through it. Like find other things that can give you a sense of a fun. I personally, probably if I was, in her situation, I probably wouldn't go out 
to these events nearly as much. If I knew that that was a sensitivity of mine, I would probably try and stay home, maybe go to bed earlier, maybe a good book, right? Like, I don't know, something like that. I mean, I'd probably have, um, I don't know, like a, like maybe some chocolate or I don't know, just something like that that makes me feel um you know, uh, something to look forward to, almost like a ritual, you know, because yeah. drinking is a ritual. It's like it's all the, it's not just, it's everything happens around it, right? Same thing can be said for coffee. It's yep. everything that happens around it. And then the other thing is, you know, I think at least I would try to be like, okay, yes, I have to give up drinking, but also remember that you want to have the healthiest baby possible. And I think for me, that would probably be something I try to try to put in the forefront of my mind. And be like, and almost picture my baby as like, I would in my mind, like they're absorbing everything I'm eating. So not only mm-hmm. would I try to give up alcohol, but I would try and actually eat better too. Like more nu- nutrient rich foods. Like, right. I'd probably yeah. be like, let me get more like fruits and veggies and just pay more attention to like micronutrients and stuff. Like I'd probably try and do a little bit of that and not make it about me. And uh, obviously it's so much easier said than done. But I would like to think if that was my position, I would try and focus on that too. And I think that would probably help. Well, I think it was interesting. I go both ways on this advice when you said that maybe not hang around those people as much. Because I'm thinking about this, like friendships and socialization is so important. Mm -hmm. And environment really affects whether or not you want alcohol, right? So Mm -hmm. I was thinking about our conversations and it would be so hard if if I was struggling with alcohol and I'm like, now I can't hang out with Jill anymore because that, what that brings up for Mm -hmm. me. So it's hard to go, why should I have to decide between my friends and drinking or not drinking? So I think it, yes, is a good tactic, but if you feel more resentful, like this isn't fair and now I don't have friends anymore because only my friends drink, then you do have to find something else to your point that feels good, that makes you feel like you're still part of the party or yeah I can understand what she was saying like she was saying stuff like oh like now I'm kind of on the fringe like I'm on like the outside and I'm like having to do like I'm taking care of the kids because everyone else is having fun and drinking and like whatever and I could understand if you sort of felt cast aside or isolated because of it I think if it was nine months I would just be like I'm not going to go as much right and then I'll resume after nine months I think you're talking more about like yeah like I'm going to give up alcohol for, for good. I need to figure this out. Well, I love the idea of finding something like when I did, I did 40 days during the pandemic of no alcohol and we started making kombucha and it was so fun because you can, it's a, you know, special fermented drink. It doesn't, it's not your normal, just drinking coffee or I don't know, Gatorade or whatever people drink soda. And we had to learn how to do it. We made our own different, uh, flavors. And then we would put it in wine glasses and drink it. So it felt like it was that extra special something. And I think for me, that drinking is sometimes like that. It's like the special cocktail. It's the flowers on top. It's the mint. It's the whatever, but it's also the conversation. So if you can still kind of give yourself something like that and still hang out and have the conversation, but also to your point is what is it giving you? Is it that the conversations, is it lowering inhibitions? What kind of things is it doing that you can maybe try to do without it? Mm-hmm. Um, there's just there's definitely a lot of layers, and I think for me, alcohol really was about the, the ritual. It's the ritual of of pouring it, drinking it, just having it there. Not necessarily. I mean, sometimes yes, the feeling because there's definitely times where it's felt fun and there's been a nice buzz and it, like the relaxation and the laughter and stuff, but. 
for a while there that I stopped feeling that. So then I'm like, well, what am I, why am I still doing it? I don't, <laughs> to, to your point, I've been off it for six months, haven't lost any weight. I don't feel any better. In fact, Jeff and I were talking about last night. He goes, do you feel any better yet? And I'm like, no, <laughs> <laughs> nope. nope, haven't, haven't. In fact, I've probably gained about six pounds since, um, definitely have gained about six pounds since. And yeah, don't feel better. Don't sleep better. Haven't lost any weight. So it definitely hasn't helped my health as far as anything I could see physically. Now my liver probably is doing better. And, and for me, I think too, the shock of my mom dying of cancer definitely jolted me into like, I need to definitely take better care of myself. So I am going to be mindful of when and if I do drink, because that's I already know, like the the numbers don't lie. I have an eighty percent higher chance to get liver cancer. That's mm. not a small amount to be fucking around with, quite frankly. Like I need to actually be harder on myself about it. So, the realities of that will probably keep me more stuck to a sober lifestyle than me wanting to do it, even here and there. And so I'm still kind of grappling with that and not, you know, haven't made any decisions of like, am I staying sober for life or not? Right. I'm going to, I'm going to a wedding this summer and I don't know if I'm going to have a drink there or not. I'm like, yeah, why not have like a toast, you know, for dinner or something. And then I'm like, I'm going to be in Greece. Am I going to want to have cocktails? And I'm thinking, you know, all of those things. And for me, I'm like, I'll see, I'll see when I get there. Um, but there's a lot of negative downsides that I can't see in front of me that could potentially play out later down the line that I don't know if I want to deal with. So there's a lot of things that come up and you have to make the decision for yourself. And I think that to your point, for me, it's about the liver and, and my, you know, potential of disease for her, it's about her baby. And Mm -hmm. when it comes to those bigger things, I think the bigger things help you say no easier mm-hmm. when you don't have that and you're just like I don't want to drink anymore it does become more challenging mm-hmm. I, I mean before this ayahuasca thing it was more challenging for me I knew intellectually I shouldn't but I was like yeah I still want to drink though I think it's it easier going though with, going with you I was like I'm not going to drink this weekend and then I'm like all right I will <laughs> so I think it does get easier the more you don't do it like you know what I mean yeah. like I think it's always the hardest when it's like I think over time at least in my experience the times I've been dry like it's just, it gets easier and easier because you do start yeah. adopting new habits too. You know, I remember I did dry January a few years ago and I would just like, I was watching this like television series and, and I'd have like these enlightened ice cream bars and I would give myself permission to have like two or even sometimes three if I wanted instead of just one, you know, and they're like yeah. relatively healthy or whatever. And then I would just go to bed early. I would take an edible, which... <laughs> I mean, I guess you could just do a different drug instead of alcohol. Maybe yeah. it's going to be a little bit better for your health. But, you know, I mean, finding ways and I was like, oh, like this is not hard. And then I've also taken time away from doing edibles. And it's like, you know, I think the more you do it consistently, the easier it becomes. But it is certainly hard at first because that's just maybe something that's just you, you do. I think there's a lot of people who listen to this probably. And I it's, I don't know about you, but I've seen I've been seeing a lot more social media posts around uh, sober life. And I think it's great. Yeah. Like to me, I'm just like, yes, like. I think we're past the point of, I think our parents' generation was like, oh, drinking is cool. At least for me, it was like, oh, he's like, he's so fun. He's always drunk. Like, you know, like, I think it's getting to the point where I wouldn't say, I think it's more neutral. I don't think it's like, Mm -hmm. oh, like that person's drinking, like they're like a pariah. But I also don't think, I think we're getting more okay with people being sober and not judging them. Be like, why aren't you drinking? I mean, I'm sure that, at least in my circles, I'm sure it still happens. Uh, I remember at first, when I first started dating Keith, I was like, I felt insecure about my drinking around him. So that's why I would like badger him. And then I remember one night he was just like, Jill, 
I don't drink. So like, stop like pressuring me and stop like, like basically said like, you're annoying the fuck out of me. Didn't say mm-hmm. it like that. But I, and I remember yeah. being like, oh, like, cause I was kind of like, oh, just have one. Like I was kind of like teasing him and yeah. he was just like, and he like got really serious with me and kind of like, and I was like, ooh, like I ran reprimanded me. And I, since then I have not been like, I have not bugged him. I've not given him shit yeah. for it. And I, so I do think we are seeing a lot more people talk about the negative effects of drinking, which are obviously all of them. Um, what I would love to see more of, I think it just doesn't serve when people are like, stop drinking. And it's just like, it's like, it's a poison. It's like, we all know that. It's like telling people that cookies are unhealthy. You know what I mean? Your sugar's unhealthy. Right. It's like, we know what I think is lacking is these kind of conversations. And I don't really mm-hmm. know the answer either, but I think the, what's lacking in the conversation around how to do that and how to yeah. do it in a way that still brings that like, you know, brings joy or still captures the, the experiences you have when you're drinking, not, not about being drunk necessarily, but like yeah. having a couple cocktails, like inhibitions are a little bit lower, like more relaxed, not thinking so much about work, less anxiety. Right. Like, and so, you know, are, what can you do instead? And, you know, maybe address the underlying reasons for drinking, you know? I mean, I don't know if they have to be like, you know, that you have childhood trauma or anything, but there's probably a reason there you're trying to check out, trying to escape something. I mean, it's, it's worth looking at. I'm glad you brought up the generational stuff. I actually think even our generation drinks more than Gen Z. Yeah, I think I that's think, true too. I think Gen Z, it's funny, but I feel like they're so much more grown up than <laughs> like they're not drinking. I was just at a kind of family reunion and I was talking to my friend who has a 15 year old daughter and she goes they're just so different she goes they're not having sex as much they're not drinking they're just they're being more kids and not so grown up like when we were in high school we were just doing all the bullshit and I thought it was so fascinating to hear that and I see it a lot more young people are just being more responsible (laughs) I guess or they're just not falling into the traps of some of the things that we fell into so I think some millennials elder millennials just drinking has been part of our life and our culture. And so it does feel like everyone's doing it. And if you look at some of the younger, you know, teenagers to mid 20 year olds, they're not drinking as much. They're not really doing that. And it's really fascinating. We live uh, two houses down from these quote kids. Uh, They're like 22 and 29 year olds. And um, they don't, they don't drink at all. They're pretty responsible. They own a house next door and they're just like, not doing it. And so I find it really fascinating. I think it's a little bit generational for us. Um, You also made one point earlier about your partner not, and the person who posted her partner continued. And so I think this is also a Mm. trickier situation right now too with Jeff and I, we both stopped at the same time. And I was wondering and thinking about if he was still drinking, how would that affect me? And if I would still want to, and I would have to say in some ways it probably would affect me and that I would still probably want to sometimes and it would be hard not to. It is easier, I think, when the person, if you're trying to stop, if the person who you live with isn't doing it as much. So that might also have some conversation and kind of like back to the last episode on going to bed at the same time, just because you're not doesn't mean you should expect them to stop too. But you're pregnant and this is a decision, you know, you both made to have a baby that maybe you can have this conversation of, hey, it would help me and support me if we could both, maybe you can't expect him to be sober, but hey, if you can, you know, commit to only one or two drinks or something, but also ask like, why does he need to drink less for you to feel okay? Or 
like, how does that look? Just have a conversation. Mm -hmm. Like, how does it make you feel? And then what's the expectation? Is he, you know, is he supposed to suffer too? Is he supposed to have cramps too? You know, I mean, what is the guy's role while you're pregnant? It's, it's definitely a conversation. I feel like there's a lot of resentment in women and I don't know what that looks like. I mean, I don't know how to address that. You can't make them feel what it feels like to be you. And so you can't take it out on them. But what do you need them to do for you to help you and to support you? Because you are the one having to go through it. So maybe that means, hey, can we make a commitment to just leave? Because I want to get out of there. It makes me right. like I get stressed out the longer we're at the party and the more people are drinking. You know, so I think that's also a conversation to have because being with someone who's continuing when you have to stop definitely makes the challenge a little bit harder. Totally. Yeah. I'm glad you brought that up because, you know, when you decide to have a baby, you guys decide together that you're going to have the baby, you know? So it's mm-hmm. not like, I remember when I was competing, I don't know if you had this, what I was like, yes. I was signing up for these figure competitions and I would get so upset when my husband would have like, like order a large pizza or like, <laughs> or like eat a burger and fries. We went out to dinner or something and I'd be like just drinking lemon water and I'd be like crying. But you know, at the same time, he didn't have to give it up because it wasn't his choice. Yeah. But when you, when two people decide to have a baby, right, you make the choice together. So I agree with you. Maybe it could be a conversation around like, hey, maybe we don't do it at home or maybe you only drink when we go out and then maybe I don't have to go or, or if we do go, maybe go for an hour. Like it's only nine months. So it's just like, yeah. I don't know, to me, I'm feeling like if you guys are a team and you're doing this together, maybe you could have a conversation around like what that might look like for him. Cause like, yeah, yeah I mean like, and <laughs> His life's about to get about to change to anyway. So it's like, you know, I mean, I guess that that's definitely a good thing to remember. I used to do that with competition too. I wasn't married yet. And I remember there was a night that my, he was my fiance. He wanted a pizza. And I'm like, I'm going to stay at my house tonight. Like, I will not stay with you. I'm so mad. How dare he get a pizza while I'm, while I'm like six weeks out from a show. But it's, it's real. I mean, it makes you feel a certain way. And it's... You, you just have to have the conversations because you're living together yep. and you're doing this together. And if it's a challenge, it's a challenge. And alcohol can be that way for yep. lots of reasons as totally. we've discussed. So, yep. Well, thank you for asking this question. I think this is a good one and definitely applicable to, I think for a lot of us, just all these different, you know, things to consider around alcohol and relationships and situations and, you know, all that kind of stuff. So I can't believe you haven't had this conversation actually, but it's all also timely because you've been off it for a few months now. So Thank you for asking. Would love to hear for those of you who maybe have given up drinking, go to our Facebook group and maybe share some tools or some, maybe share your experience about maybe what you've done instead of drinking and how you've managed to continue having the, you know, the, the experiences that you want to have, but maybe without the booze and, um, Go to thebestlifepodcast.com, click on the link for our closed Facebook group. You can find us there with all the discussions. And thank you guys for your time and attention. We'll see you on the next episode. Bye, guys. Bye, guys. Bye, guys.